So if everybody started, we will go ahead. Or, I'm sorry. If everybody's ready, we will go ahead and get started. We'll go ahead and get ready. If everybody's started, y'all forgive me. So um, let's pray. We're going to just you know, seek the Lord's face. We're going to thank him for a great week and, and get into um, the last little bit of the book of Genesis. Father, we thank you for a lovely day, a wonderful day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to gather with your people. Lord, I'm reminded of the video I saw where these Chinese people were just worshiping and praying over receiving a Bible. Lord, let us have a heart like that. Let us be so expectant of your word and what it's going to do for us and to us uh, and through us, Lord, that uh, we just cry out to you and just say thank you. You are so merciful and mighty. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you the honor for this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <coughs> just, just out of curiosity, who, who, everybody's got a smartphone or most people have a smartphone or access to a smartphone? iPhone, anything, any kind of phone like that. Does anybody have like a Bible app on it? Does everybody have a Bible app on it? You guys know that you can find like everything on the Bible apps? I'm shocked. I mean, I could do all my studying on my phone. That's good stuff. <laughs> you know, it's really amazing. So I, I downloaded some stuff on my phone and I was like, <laughs> good stuff. But uh, we're in chapter 39. We left off last week um, with. Joseph getting ready to have some success down in Egypt after uh, uh, Judah had had his sons. Joseph has been taken to Egypt. He's been captured. And, and then the, the, the story sets up. It gives us a little story about Judah. But that's just the setup for what happens in chapter 39. So in chapter 39, as opposed to Judah, God has another plan. Verse 31. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And you can cross-reference that with chapter 37, verse 36, which says, um, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him, to, uh, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Joseph is now going down to Egypt. Now, how do we know that Joseph is God's man? How do we know? How are we told in the Bible that Joseph is God's man? Read the next verse. <laughs> that usually helps. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And read verse 3. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph is a man. Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph is a foreshadowing of who Christ is. And whatever uh, he is doing for God is being blessed. Whatever he is doing in the name of the Lord that is blessed. Those things that Joseph has set to do that are caused uh, by God for him to do are things that will be blessed by him. And God begins to bless. Uh, Proverbs 10.22 says, uh, It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. And that's what God is doing to Joseph. He is, he is setting Joseph up, and he is just going to ascend up the ladder, this hierarchy, in Egypt until he becomes a very powerful man in Egypt, and that's just through God's providence. So we'll see that as we get there. Um, when, when you are God's man, whatever you do for God, for God, it will prosper, even in the face of evil. Let's read verse 6. Um, my, my, my Bible has a paragraph division in verse 6. Does everybody have a paragraph division? In verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came about after these events that his master's wife took, uh, looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, 
lie with me. Now, again, that's a euphemism. She's saying, hey, the master's not here because Joseph was so successful. Potiphar didn't need to look after his house. He left it all, and the only thing the Bible says that he was worried about was what he ate. And Joseph is a good, handsome, sturdy, you know, rugged young man. And she sees him, thinks she's got an opportunity because her husband's not there to have sex with him. It says, come lie with me. Now, what should we do in this case? What would any of you guys do? Now, ladies, just switch it to a man. But uh, what would any of us do if we were confronted with a, just a sin that is that bold in your face? What would anybody do? <laughs> Give him a try, he said. <laughs> what would you do? I mean, it, it seems so simple, but often, see, because in this case, we've got, we, we know it's wrong. We know the Bible says flee sexual immorality. We know the Bible says that the marriage bed is honorable. We know that the Bible says all these wonderful things about marriage, but does the Bible say anything about that sin, that little sin, that little thing that you've rationalized in your mind that's not such a big deal? Because I think about myself. There's, there's a sin that I got that I carry on my waist all the time. You know, you guys see it every, every Sunday. My weight is just becoming a concern for me. And I think about it as I'm eating, my, body, my mind goes through contortions. Do you really need to be eating this, John? Should you be eating this now? Are you really hungry? Are you just eating to stay awake? Are you eating to keep energy? What's, what's the sin that you guys have? And what would stop you from doing what you do? Have you ever thought about that? And it, it kills me. The little sin that I have, the little, the little, quote unquote, little sin that I have that holds me back from walking in the blessing that God has for me all the time. The little disobediences in my life that keep me from being all that God has called me to be. It's bothersome to me. And I'm glad that it's bothersome to me because if it wasn't bothersome to me and I wasn't even thinking about it, then I'd be really, really worried. But, well, I guess I wouldn't be worried because I wouldn't be thinking about it. But I'm worried because... I can do better for God. And that's what I want all of us to understand. We can see what Joseph did in verses 8 and 9. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. Um, there is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then could I do this great evil and sin against who? God. Not Potiphar, against God. But the problem is that sin can be persistent. Sin can hound you, dog you, run after you, day after day, moment after moment, if you let it. Because what does the Bible say? And she's In verse 10, and she spoke to Joseph day after day. This woman was insistent. And, and as I was reading the text, that's a little phrase. Day after day, you kind of, your eyes kind of brush over it. They don't really see it. But I, when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. This isn't just like a one-time thing. This woman was hounding Joseph week after week, day after day. We don't know the timeline, but she is just on intent on lying with Joseph. Sin lied on Joseph, and it will lie on you. Uh, also, when what you in, in what appears to be Joseph to what appears to be Joseph's destruction, and what appears to be your destruction. Look at verse twelve. She caught him by his garment and said again, "Lie with me." 
And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he went outside. Joseph is intent on not getting caught in this sin. But Potiphar's wife, and notice that they don't even name her in the scripture. She is intent on catching him. But what is the result? What is the result? Skip down to verse 19. Uh, now when his master heard, she tells this story. He came in and tried to lie with me, and, he, and she tells it to her servants, and now she's telling it to her husband. Um, when the master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke to him, saying, what, uh, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. Sin will lie on you guys. Sin will set you up and put you in a position where you're, you might be doing the right thing for the right reasons, but somebody on your job, on, on the street corner at school, is going to put you in a position where they, they don't like you, they don't want you, and they just lie on you. Has anybody had an experience? I had an experience like that when I was in college. I had a professor who didn't like me. I was up for a scholarship, and I think my GPA was... .02 beneath it and I had the opportunity to bring it up but he just kept harping on that .02 his, his GPA is not standard it's not what it's supposed to be and I just couldn't believe it now I got the scholarship praise God then I lost it but that's a whole other story but I mean have you guys ever had any experience like that where somebody just lying on you anybody well I'm, I'm glad all of you guys have had perfect lives yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> could you share yeah, I'm similar to, I mean I had a, I had a boss at work Severely. <laughs> it severely can. It, and, it, and what you'll find is, um, but even at your lowest point, God is still the one that's in control of what's going to happen to you. Let's look at verse 21. Um, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him fa uh, favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Let's get, skip down to verse 23. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. I would love for that to be said about me. Amen. You know, I would love to have somebody to just look at me, look at my life and say, the Lord is with John. I mean, that should be something that we're all striving for. We've got to be in a position where we're, we are so open to what God has us to do, what God calls us to do, what God is asking us to do, that when we, we just respond, when the Lord calls, we respond and go to it, and we just say, hey, whatever God's calling us, that the Lord is with him. That would be a great place to be. So here's the question. Will you commit to fleeing the sin that you now fall under? Do you, uh, does, does, does that have, will you commit to just saying in your mind, I, whatever that sin is, Whatever it is, the ones spoken and the ones unspoken, will you commit to fleeing it? Will you commit to just not putting yourself in that position where whatever that sin is, whatever, whatever that, that, that situation is, uh, you know, I'll give one for the guys. Guys, you ever been walking through the, the convenience store and you see that magazine rack that's got those magazines on it? Y'all know what the magazines I'm talking about? And you just, you're just not going to look. Yeah, up by the cashiers that are uh, not permissible for a good young man to look at you just you just walk by him. you don't pay him any attention what you do start singing a christian song you know praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures whatever you got to do flee that sin 
<laughs> put a tracker. <laughs> put a tracker, but don't look up where you're putting it there. I mean, but I mean, guys, we have to be so dead set, set against sin, our sin. Uh, we we tend to talk about sin as if it's somebody else's problem, but the sin that we have is our sin. You know, we have sin. We have offended God, and so we have to take care of that. Um. What does the Bible say about fleeing sexual sin? Does anybody have already said that we're supposed to flee from sexual sin? Anybody can give me just one more. One more example of what the Bible says about fleeing sexual sin. Uh, this is the will of God for you, that your sanctification. That you, that you abstain, abstain from sin. It's not only is the call to flee sin in the Bible, specifically the call is to flee the call is to flee sexual sin in the Bible. And I think the reason is. Because, again, the, the human anatomy, and I'll leave that at that to your imaginations, is so um, obtrusive in our lives that that's an easy way for men and women to sin. And God, is, and as you see, as we're going through Genesis, there's a lot of sin in that area in people's lives. And I think God, that's why they were called the circumcision. And God is circumcising the hearts of his people. It's, it's just a way to remind you that we're set apart. We're different. If we're God's people... We are chosen people that are cho- we've called not to sin. Let's not sin, okay? Moving on to chapter 40. Sometimes when we're persecuted, God will bless us anyway. It doesn't matter what we're doing. God still will bless us. Verse 4. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. There were some men in the jail, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Now, here's the thing. People think that that for some time might have been up to two years. I mean, that's a long time to spend in jail for something you didn't do, okay? But he's in jail. And what happens is revelation comes from God, and it's only God that can interpret it, okay? Let's look at verses 12 and 18. Uh, Verse 12 says, Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will will lift up your head and restore you. Uh, to your office and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom uh, when you were his cupbearer. and let's look at verse 18 it says then Joseph answered this is the other interpretation of the other dream then Joseph answered and said this is the this is its interpretation the three baskets are three days within three more days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh off of you. Now there's a slight difference in those two prophecies. Does anybody know what it is? Life and death. Life, but, what, life and death, but what's the phrase that's different in those two prophecies? One of them says, the second one says that he will lift his head up from you. It's not just going to lift your head. That was told to the first, the first man. That's a, that's a a statement that he's going to be returned to his position. You're going to be returned as uh, uh, his cupbearer. But the baker, his head is going to be lifted up from himself. He's going to be beheaded. He's going to be killed. And even when you prove that God is with you, you might still, still be in trouble. Verse 21. Verse 21. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief, jail, the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. But, or yet, the chief cupbearer 
did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph had done this, had done this marvelous thing for the king. He told him, hey, this is going to, or to these two uh, gentlemen, he told them, this is what's going to happen. But he told one of them, don't forget me when you stand in front of the king. And the man forgot it. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a problem that's going to happen time after time after time in Joseph's life. But as, again, if we're reading this as a person, as we're, as we're reading this in time, if we're reading it in time with Joseph, we don't understand why these things keep happening to him. But as we read this as a Christian and we look back, we can see. And I, I'm beginning to, as, I, as I'm looking at this and looking at this and looking at this, when Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, I wasn't going to give this away. I'm honestly beginning to believe that that's like the verse for the whole book. That's the verse for the whole book. Whatever, whatever it doesn't matter. Man sinned at the beginning. Uh, people are sinning in the days of Noah. The, the, the mess up that Abraham makes, the mess up that Isaac makes, the mess up that Jacob makes. Whatever happens, whatever we meant for bad, God flips it around and makes it for something good. Joseph was uh, proven to the people around him though that he, had, that he hears from God. And that slowly brings him to the attention of Pharaoh. And in all of that, in everything that happened, Joseph did not complain. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 41. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. So he has already interpreted the two dreams from the cupbearer and the baker. But now Pharaoh has a dream. And uh, when, it, when the time is right, God shows up. Sometimes God will show up in the most unusual of places, not when we, when we least expect him to show up. And God has a habit of doing that. And I think, uh, personally, I say praise God. Because if he didn't, there would be times that I would not be... I would not be here. I'd be in jail somewhere. But God shows up. Let's look at verse uh, 9 through 10. The, uh, yeah. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to the Pharaoh, saying, I would, I would make mention today of, of, of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put uh, me in consignment in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And verse 12 through 13. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we were relate and we related them to him those dreams, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his to our dream, and just as he had interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, but he hanged him. So God has shown up, and uh, we have to give God the glory for your life and the gift that He gives you. There are things that are going to happen that I'm, that we don't understand. But God is in control. And, if, we, and if, we, if we're reading Genesis and we understand the story as we're reading it, we know that whatever takes place, God's sovereign. Yes, sir? He's still considered a youth at this point by these people. Yeah. He's around his mid-20s or so. And it, it's weird that... Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of weird what it says in the New Testament about an elder. The, the whole thing is like you're up to like 60 years old before you're considered an elder. So... That's kind of weird to me. You know, I, I like to be, I'm 45 now, and I like to be considered an elder because I'm, I'm a little older now, so I can be considered an elder. But, but I don't have enough gray, you know. And it's still weird when people calling me sir, but that's a whole other story. Um, that started a long time ago. But, I mean, he's, he's still a young man. Joseph is still a young man. And he's been, he's been in prison for a few years. He's been away from his family for a few years. And, again, think about if you're Jacob. You think that 
your son, your, the son of your, the, life, the wife that you love, you think one of them is gone. He's not coming back. You think he's dead. So what are you going to do? Um, let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 of chapter 41 says, Joseph, uh, Joseph then answered uh, Pharaoh, saying, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. God is going to respond to this dream that Pharaoh has had. Um, does anybody know what Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says? Turn to Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. It says, "Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings." He will not stand before obscure men. Joseph was good at what he did. He was interpreting these dreams that nobody else could. And God was putting him in places where he was, his, his, his name was being made to shine. And as he started off as a slave, he gets moved up to the captain of, of, of Potiphar's house. And now we're going to see that Joseph gets moved up to be uh, important even in Pharaoh's house. So that's, that's what's going on as we're running through. Now, Pharaoh has a dream also, and this dream is about seven cows and seven ears of corn and crazy things are going on. And, and the, the hardest part that I had while preparing this lesson was, okay, do I really want to get into the dreams and what the dreams are and all that? I don't think I need to. I think you can read it for yourself and you can understand what's important is that God is the one that is providing Joseph with these dreams. Uh, to, uh, the interpretation for these dreams. So let's look at verse 24, about halfway through the verse. And then it says, Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Pharaoh said, I told these uh, diviners, these diviners, these men who practiced magic and had all these sayings, and I wanted them to tell me, but nobody could do it. Why? Because only God can interpret dreams. God is the only one. If the dream comes from God, only God can interpret it. If you're a man that's speaking for God, only God truly understands what you're saying. There are some things that Pastor Emilio says, and I don't have a clue, but God knows what he's saying. I'm just, I, was waiting, I was waiting to see how long y'all took to get that. But there, understand what I'm saying. If, when you're a man and you're speaking for God, if we were there on the day of Pentecost and Peter started preaching and we heard his preaching, there were some things that we might not have understood. Okay? We might not have understood all that he had said, but God knows. You know, whatever, whatever a person is saying for God, God knows what they mean and what they're saying because he's the one that's doing it. He's speaking through them. Now, e even though we've got this, uh, this thing then that the magicians didn't know, verse 25, Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God told, in, in, the, in his dream, God had let Pharaoh know what was going to come to pass. God was the one who was still in control. Again, God does it. God did it. God is not going to let the blessing, the promise to Abraham fail. It's not going to happen. What, and it, again, it doesn't make any sense to me that why is this story veering off on this guy who gets taken away from his family. Why aren't we focusing on Jacob and the other brothers and little Benjamin and what's going on there? No, it seems like we've gone to this left turn and now we're following this man who's in Egypt, but there's a reason that we're following this man who is in Egypt. Um, turn to Psalm 119. That's, uh, I think, kind of important. 
Psalm 119, verse 46. It says this, and this is what's true. I will also speak of your testimony before kings and shall not be ashamed. What's happening to Joseph is he's being placed in front of powerful men and his, his, he's speaking and things are starting to look up for, for him. So in verse, uh, Joseph interprets this dream, seven, the seven good ears, the seven cows are seven good years and the seven, the, and, uh, there are seven good years and seven years of famine. Thank you. Um, Verse 28 and 29. And it is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, the seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the, uh, and the famine will ravage the land. So this famine was coming. God had said it. Now, if God, now understand, these are Egyptians who don't worship the true God. But God has said it through this man, and Pharaoh listens. Um, Joseph tells Pharaoh this plan, and Pharaoh appoints Joseph as his second. Now, what Moses had said, Moses gives us this little comment in verse 37. Now, the proposals seem good to Pharaoh and all of his servants. He gives us that little comment to let us know that, hey, we, don't, we, we might not know who this God of yours is, but we're going to listen to you because of the track record that you've had. And that's who we want to be. Um, and so does the Holy Spirit live in all believers even in the Old Testament that's the question absolutely Absolutely. anybody else it's kind of hard to disagree with pastor does anybody want to raise their hand and disagree with pastor no nobody wants to do read verse 38 I'm not sure I don't see clarity in the scripture you don't see clarity let's look at verse 38 this is again this is not a definitive verse but it's just something interesting to think about then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? They knew that there was something about Joseph. Something. They couldn't put their finger on it. They can't. What is it about this guy? We don't know how he's doing all of this. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, yes, it was the spirit that was doing this with Joseph. Yes, sir. Well, I feel the need to kind of justify myself a little bit. <laughs> That's a dogmatic statement. Okay? Go ahead, sir. I, I am of the persuasion that Old Testament saints did have the spirit of God based that on passages like the first Peter chapter one verse eleven where it talks about the spirit of Christ was in them um, communicating the gospel. Uh, there are several places in the Old Testament where the Hebrew is explicitly uh, is it very explicit that the spirit was in the person, not just on them, upon them, anointing them, but actually in them. And I would refer everybody to uh, Wayne Grudem's uh, systematic theology on the Holy Spirit. There's a whole section there covering the indwelling of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Which which, which changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I, That's not to say I, there's not a future. I see that out there. Yeah, we'll see. Is it, is it, does it manifest itself in the same way as New Testament believers, though? I, I would say the manifestation of the Spirit, no. Right. But the fact that he's there, uh, yes. I think he's, he's there in all believers. If you're sure. a believer, if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit in you. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. <laughs> But the way that that works out is going to be different, uh, in, 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 if I can use the word, in different dispensations. <laughs> I, I would say in different covenants. Yes. Because, because that's the prophets and the law, that's all fulfilling the covenant and how they're using them. I mean, they're writing scripture for the people of, people of God in the Old Testament. Yes. So, so 
they're going to be used differently than maybe somebody that breaks it down. For, for example, you know, um, being born again is obviously a spirit, you know, a spirit regenerates a person. You know, when Jesus pointed to Nicodemus, he should have knew that. That was an old covenant, you know, uh, thing that he, you know, that, that was already in existence. That, you know, the Bible talks about the children of Israel having their hearts circumcised. Right. You know, it's just synonymous with regeneration. Mm -hmm. And then, so the spirit is definitely at work. Obviously, when we come to Pentecost, we think, oh, the Spirit's brand new or something. You know, it's a, it's a new work, for sure. It's, right. it's a new dispensation. It's a new, it's definitely a new outpouring, a new manifestation of the Spirit in a way that maybe the church has never, ever seen. But it's definitely, there is definitely continuity. Right. You know, that's it. I don't want to detract from your teaching anymore. <laughs> no problem. But yes, I, I think it was interesting in the text right here. You can see, like, Pharaoh has access to every diviner in the whole nation. Yeah. yeah. In the but whole God world. God has providentially used only Joseph. Joseph. That's it. He orchestrated all these means to bring about that one guy standing in front of the, the guy. Right. You know? And, and that, that gives me comfort in the fact that if you find yourself, and the, the New Testament says, if, if you find yourself in a place where you don't understand where you are, and somebody asks you, if you're in a hostile land, if you go to a Muslim land, mm -hmm. and they say, do you believe in Jesus? And they're standing there with their machetes. You can speak confidently because God has orchestrated your life to bring you to that point. Now, me, I don't want to die. I don't want to get my head chopped off. I don't want to, I don't want to go like that. But if the situation calls for it, I won't deny Christ. And I, and I don't think any of you would deny Christ. I think at this church, I think we love who Jesus Christ is. We lift him up. We exalt him. We, we worship him. He, he, is, he is our God, you know, and that gives me confidence to be able to stand no matter what the consequences will come. Now, if they want to do something to my wife or my kids, ah, then I got to take. They can kill me all they want to. But if they're going to take Cassandra out, uh, I'm going to have to be sanctified in that area. But if you all understand what I'm saying, if, it, if it's up to me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to speak for Jesus Christ. I mean, how, how hard is it to go to South Lake and speak up? Because not, you're not going to be persecuted here. I mean, there are, there are brothers and sisters now living in lands where if they say the name Jesus Christ, they're dragged out into the middle of the town square, buried up to their waist, and rocks are thrown at them. Not little rocks, big rocks. That's crazy to me, you know? But that's what's happening just because of the name of Jesus Christ. But what I wanted to say was, um, was that... Uh, the Holy Spirit in us, it's the Holy Spirit that in us that either draws people to us or repels people. The Bible says, and Pastor preached on this not too long ago, that to people who are dying, we smell like death. And the people who are living, we smell like life. I mean, and I think it's that simple, okay? Um, in the New Testament, the book of Acts says what about Joseph? What does the book of Acts say about Joseph? Turn to Acts chapter 7. That's what I love about this church. You tell people turn and you hear pages turning. Acts chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him to Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his affliction and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him a governor over, all, uh, over Egypt and all his household. 
That's what the New Testament tells us about uh, Joseph. Now, it goes on and gives a little bit more, and we won't read that because that will give away the rest of my story today. But, I mean, you understand, Joseph is, is pulled up for us as an example, as somebody to, to model our life after. And not that we follow his life point for point for point, but it's his integrity that we want to we have. This man was just standing for God no matter what was in his way. Um, let's look at verse 41. Verse 41 says, or verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Verse 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. He was, there, he was put in, front, in charge of all of Egypt. He was the highest ranking man except for Pharaoh himself. He has gone from a dungeon to a palace. This is, uh, this is uh, I mean, this is marvelous. We can't even understand this. And Joseph, uh, we find in, in this next little section that Joseph has sons that are going to carry on the promise. In um, verses 50 and through 52. Uh, now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, uh, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me... Uh, Forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Again, biblical names have biblical meaning. All the names that we see through the whole book relate to what's going on with that person at that time. Yes, ma'am. So were those twins or no? I don't know. That's, that's what I don't know. Interesting, huh? It's, it, it would... It it will say something, and, and you have so many twins in the story. Right. I mean, you've got, you got twin, 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 and then you're like, well, does he have twin? I don't know. That was a question that I thought of. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, now, what God is going to do is he is going to prepare Joseph's family to move to Egypt, and he's going to send Jacob. He's going to, Jacob is going to send his sons to Egypt, chapter 42. Um, I will leave this up to you guys. We can do chapter 42 today, or we can do it next week. Um, I have to practice the songs. It's up to you guys. I can either run through it, or we can do it. Mike, uh, uh, John, go ahead and go. Uh, we check the mics. You're fine. Okay. You want me to keep going? They'll adjust you as you get up. So you Great. Have plenty of time. Okay. Um, chapter 42, <coughs> verse 1. Now, Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And I, actually, I pointed this out to my wife, and I love this. If you guys ever watched any of those old sitcoms like Sanford and Son and um, uh, any of those old black comedies from the, first, from the 70s, they would talk a certain way. And I love what Jacob says. Now, Jacob said, saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? He's just, Jacob's like, why are y'all just sitting around here just looking at one another? Get up. Go. Go get some grain. And uh, verse 4. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. He was afraid that his youngest son was going to be taken. His second youngest son, he thinks is gone. But his baby boy, he's not going to let anything happen to him. You know, I was just, as I said that, I looked at Jessica. She's, she's got a baby boy. You know, you're not going to let anything happen to that little boy. You know, you're going to fight. You're going to fight for his life like a lioness. And that's Jacob is like, no, nothing's going to happen to my son. He didn't trust God for Benjamin's life. He was trusting in himself. But he still loves Rachel and he loves this son more than the rest. 
Joseph hides himself and he um, and he and he tests his brothers and he sent them back to their father. Let's let's look at verses six, verses eight, and verses eighteen in chapter forty-two. Um, now Joseph was a ruler over all the land. He was the one who sold all who who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down low to him with their faces to the ground. Now stop right there. I remember something that something that this guy said about that happening to him. Remember when he said, you're going to bow down to me? Remember the dream that Joseph had? This is a fulfillment. And they didn't remember. Verse 8. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And let's go to verse 18. Now, I, I, find it, I just find it funny that in, in Genesis, we have all these references to three days, and on the third day, that's, that's just kind of coincidental to me, but I just, I, I need to study that more, but I just find it funny. But Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. Now, Joseph, I think at that point, he's using the word Elohim. He's not using the word Yahweh, which was a covenantal name given to the people. He's using the name Elohim, kind of capitulating to the language of the people there. He, and he used, whenever he's talking to an Egyptian, he uses Elohim, and he doesn't use Yahweh. But I think he's doing that to his brothers because he doesn't really want them to know quite yet who he is. Did you have a question, John? Well, I was, are you, would you say this itself is happening around the same time, or I, I missed that? Would as you, what? As the forty at the end of forty-one, there when he started having his sons, or did it make that transition, or is there? Yeah, I think it's around the same time because verse forty-two or chapter forty-two starts out now. Okay. It's just it's just like. I just thought it was interesting, like. And, and then God starts doing this with his family. Because, yeah. like, I've healed you. I've ex- you've, you've learned to be content with the situation. And now I'm going to bring it all back. That might be. That's a good point. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I wasn't thinking on that train. That might be what's going on. Um, I, I'd have to think about that. Because that's, that's something I hadn't thought about. Um, excuse me. Uh, Joseph gives his brothers a hint at who he is. But see, I think, I think they miss it. Let's turn to verse 21 and 22. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because he saw, we saw the distress of his soul. When he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them and saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against this boy, and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They're saying basically what the Bible says. Your sin will find you out. They think they're going to get punished because of what they did. But again, I, if we know the story of Joseph, we know that God is going to bring something glorious out of this. But again, if you're in the moment, if you're reading this book, and you're in that time frame, you're not understanding what's going to, what's going to, what's going to happen. Um, let's turn to verse 36. And when they returned home to Jacob... Um, their father said this, verse 36. So they come, and Joseph sends them back. And Jacob, uh, Jacob says this, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And you would, uh, and you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. So they, they come they, one, of their little, one of their little brothers stayed, and they send them back. He sends them back to, to Jacob, 
And Jacob is like, I, I can't take this anymore because not only have I lost Joseph, now my other son is gone, and if I send Benjamin, he's going to be gone. And it's, it's, it's just, I can just feel the tension here in his heart. And Jacob would not let Benjamin go for nothing. Again, I think at this point, he's not trusting God. I think he's become a man that God can trust, a man that God is using, a man that God has promised his blessing to. But when it comes to his baby boy, he's like, mm-hmm. look at verse 38. But Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are asking, uh, you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. He's like, I I can't do it. I can't, I can't let him go. And Jacob's reaction here is completely human. When we do not know what God is doing, at times we don't trust him. And I find that I'm in that position a a lot of times. I, I don't trust God because I don't know what God is doing. You know, it would be really nice if God would, like, write in the sky or write on a wall and tell me what was going on because then I could say, it's no problem, I got it. But what we do have is we have promises and we have, we have the scriptures. And we can go to the scriptures. We can look at examples. We can look at promises that God has made to other men, other women throughout the Bible. And we can learn from that. God is completely, underlined, bold-faced, blinking lights, completely trustworthy. What he says will come to pass, even if we don't know what's going to happen. Okay? But God knows. Um, Let's end on that note. We will pick up with chapter 43, and we're actually going to try to get from 43 (coughs) through the end of the book. I'm going to try to fly through the rest of this next week. And because what I want to do the last week is I want to, got, I want to show you guys um, Christ in the life of Joseph. And that's what I want to do the, the last week and just kind of overview the book of Genesis. So let's pray. And are there any questions, any statements, any comments? Thank you, man. And, oh, I have to uh, remind me to tell you something, too. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, just for a, a wonderful opportunity to be with your people, a wonderful opportunity, Lord, to uh, go over your word. Lord, we look forward to uh, what you're going to do with, as we continue to worship through the singing, through the preaching, through our fellowship and our potluck. Lord, um, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we look to meld our hearts with them as we become one in spirit, one in mind, one in purpose. Lord, we just thank you um, for giving me this opportunity to stand before these people. And thank you Uh, for allowing them to listen. Lord, we just love you, we praise you, and we honor you. We ask that you would bless all of this in Christ Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.